This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Here you go. Here you go. Scapegoat. That's the nothing personal word of the day today. Scapegoat, as in J.T. Watkins. Who in the world is J.T. Watkins? Well, no one really knew who he was until yesterday when the commissioner of baseball decided that J.T. Watkins was the man responsible for the sign stealing that the Red Sox did on their run to the World Series in 2018. Let me just make sure I say it again. J.T. Watkins. Scapegoat? Scapegoat? The video room replay operator? I'd like to explain to all of you what a video replay monitor is. That is a person who the front office hires in conjunction with the GM, the manager. He goes on the road with the team. He's at every home game, 162 games. Every off day, he is in charge of the video room and in charge of during the game, looking at every replay angle and telling the dugout when they should or should not issue a challenge. It is all up to the replay operator. The replay operator has a relationship with the GM, the president, the owner, the manager, every coach, every single coach, and every single player. Because everyone wants to see either a replay of their at-bats. Everyone wants to see how, who the pitcher is that day, what the pitcher's throwing. Everyone wants to get the signs. Yet the commissioner of baseball, through his report, stated unequivocally, There was no proof that anyone other than a handful of players got information from this rogue replay video room operator. The chances of that being true, ladies and mostly gentlemen, 0.0. It's John Blutarski's grade point average. Google it. Animal House, you know that. So why is it that baseball would conclude How could they conclude? Well, here's how it happened. When the Astros situation came up, it was because a player named Mike Fires actually was a whistleblower and said this was going on. So MLB started an investigation. They gave immunity to all players, and they found out that the Astros were engaged in a very complex sign-stealing scandal. They were banging trash cans. You've heard me talk about it. Guess who the manager of that Astros team was? A.J. Hinch, now suspended. Guess who the bench coach was? A guy named Joey Cora. So Joey Cora wins the World Series while stealing signs as a bench coach of the Astros in 2017, gets hired by the Red Sox to be their manager in 2018, 
and then wins the World Series with the Red Sox in 18. Meanwhile, in 2017, while the Astros were banging on trash cans, the Red Sox were punished for using Apple Watches to illegally gain information and a competitive advantage during the course of a game. As part of their punishment, they were fined and told, never do this again, because if you do, if you do, we will come down with the wrath of God upon you like locusts, mice, and corona. So what did the Red Sox do? They promised they would never do that again. And did they ever do it again? Let's wait. Yeah, the next year. Of course they didn't stop. Do you think for a minute that Joey Cora would go from the Astros to the Red Sox after winning a World Series, not getting in trouble, stealing signs left and right like it was a penny off the street, then go to the Red Sox where he's a first-time rookie manager at a large market team with a great team favored to win, and all of a sudden not engage in any of that same sign stealing that made the Astros so successful? It's inconceivable, Wallace Shawn would say, Princess Bride. Why is it inconceivable? Because the front office and the manager would be on the same page that we will do whatever it takes to win. If we can steal the signs, we're going to steal them. We've got replay. We've got video. We are going to try to figure out the signs and get that information to our hitters. Period. Hard stop. We're going to do this. But in the course of the investigation, no Red Sox players could really confirm or deny what had happened. Nobody was going to be a whistleblower because they saw what happened to Mike Fires after he blew the whistle and what an absolutely shit show it was. Coca, can I say that or are we going to have to edit that? What an S show it is, what happened with the Astros. So there's no way anyone was going to turn state's evidence. The players already had immunity. Baseball wanted to get as far away from this story as possible. So baseball does get away from the story by releasing it yesterday, the day before the NFL draft, and by putting an end to this in perpetuity, by saying, that's it. No players were involved enough that they ever would have been punished, even if they hadn't had immunity. Two, Joey Cora's being punished for the Astros stuff that he did, not the Red Sox stuff. Three, JT Watkins is the fall guy scapegoat, video guy. He did it all with only a handful of players. Four, Dave Dombrowski, the now fired president of baseball operations, the current team president, Sam Kennedy, and the current owners, John Henry and Tom Warner, have had no idea what was going on. And on top of that, they had communicated to the players and the coaches, don't do that. It would be against the rules. Well, what the commissioner may not realize is there's a whole lot of this going on. And if you're listening and not watching, I'm winking. I'm literally winking. A whole lot of winking going on. Why? Because every front office is doing the same thing. It is absolutely impossible to speak to anyone with truth serum. Give them a lie detector test. There's not one GM in baseball or one manager in baseball who would say that they don't know what their video room director is doing. There's not one GM or manager in baseball who would say, my guys were stealing signs. I had no idea. It can't be that they were doing that. I told them not to. What's amazing about the ruling against the Red Sox is that baseball is going to get what it wants. And because of the global pandemic, they use that as an absolute shield. They got this out before the draft during the pandemic. And now when baseball comes back, the focus will be solely on the game and how thankful everyone is. And they don't have to reopen this wound 
like ripping off a Band-Aid hair by hair. This is a full ripoff. It actually may be a ripoff. It's a total rip job because we're not getting the truth. Regardless of what the commissioner could prove, and I absolutely understand and believe the department investigations could not prove what the Red Sox had done because they had no witnesses ready to talk, but it defies credibility. I think they could have done it totally differently, and I don't think it's right. I never, I never, as president of a team, 18 years, let me tell you what I would never do. I would never do a statement like the Red Sox did and then call the other owners and then apologize. They denied they did anything. Call the other owners in a conference call. Apologize for breaking the rules. I would stand up and say, yeah, of course I knew about it. The buck stops stops with me. I'm the team president. And I'd be standing right next to my manager and president of baseball operations. And we would all acknowledge it. So instead, the Red Sox do a statement that was absolutely written in in, in the bathroom, as far as I'm concerned, because that's what it's worth. It's absolutely incorrect. But then they named Ron Renneke their permanent manager. I wonder what the timing of that was about on the same day that it's discovered by the commissioner that Alec, that Joey, is it Alex, Alex, I keep saying Joey Cora was our bench coach under Ozzie Guillen in 2012, who was fired after the season when we fired Ozzie. Joey's brother is Alex Cora, who is the manager that we're talking about. If I've said Joey during the course of this show, every time I say Joey, assume I meant Alex. If I'd been saying Alex the whole time, then that's who I meant to say. There's no way that a bench coach doesn't know what's happening. Joe, Joey, Alex Cora was the bench coach for the Astros. Coca, there's a chance I've been saying Joey this whole time, by the way. There really is. Alex Cora, I can't hear you, Coca. Alex Cora was the bench coach for the Astros. He knew exactly what he was doing. Exactly. By the way, this is value added from Coca. He's in my ear just whispering. I thought that that was his nickname. I thought Joey was his nickname. Way to go, Coca. Joey's his brother, sibling. It's not a nickname. It's Joey and Alex Cora. Criminy six. So Alex was the bench coach, fully culpable and punished, suspended for a year, and now fired by the Red Sox because of what he did as a bench coach. But Ron Renneke, the bench coach for the Red Sox in 2018, eh, he didn't know anything. He's a bench coach. What would a bench coach know? Well, my experience tells you when I've been in there, the bench coach knows everything. There's no way Ron Renke didn't know what was going on. There literally is no chance. And no matter what these Red Sox players, coaches, GM, owners, no matter what they say, they're not telling you the truth. I wish they would just tell you the truth. It's not that difficult. Red Sox lose a second round pick. Big whoop. Yankees lost more than that for going over the luxury tax. The video guy is suspended for a year and can't be a video guy in 21. JT Watkins has been profiled all over the internet. He's been dug into what his past is as though he is the mastermind architect. What about the mastermind architects for the Astros who put together the scheme? Did they get punished or was it just Lunau and Hinch who got punished, even though their owner, Jim Crane, didn't know anything and their bench coach, Alex Cora, got punished, but not the underlings. Strange. That doesn't seem very consistent to me, but it'll be a deterrent because if I were running a team, I would look at this punishment and I would say, I'm not cheating. No way. I can't afford to lose my video replay room operator. No chance. I'm going to go right by the rules and not use any advantage that I can find in technology in order to win more games and get a ring and increase revenue and increase the value of my asset during this time when it's so critical that revenues find a way to come back up. 
Anyone remember the 1998 season, I think it was, after the strike in 95, 94, 95, baseball was struggling? All of a sudden, people are taking steroids, and people in the game are looking the other way. And then all of a sudden, there's a home run chase with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. The ratings are over the roof. Over the roof, that may be the expression, are over the roof. I'm mixing a lot of metaphors with an occasional simile these days. I think it's sort of quarantine brain on a Thursday. Through the roof. Thank you, Coca. He's listening and paying attention and watching. I mean, why not? If you can't focus for 45 minutes a day, Coca, come on, man. The ratings were through the roof with this home run chase. And by the way, they were both on steroids, McGuire and Sosa. You think that baseball is going to be looking at sign stealing right now when they're trying to get their business back to an $11 billion business? You think this is a deterrent against cheating? No, it's an open invitation. Please, we need the product to be great. We want teams to be great. We should all do it. Deterrent. Someone just tweeted at me asking me whether or not I would cheat. And I'm going to sit here and tell you, of course, I would never cheat. I'm not a cheater. I would never cheat in baseball. No way. Why would you do that? Ah, oh, that's right. I don't work in baseball anymore. You're damn right I would. I would do anything to get an advantage. I'm not killing people. All these players saying that I lost my career because I gave up seven runs to the Astros or six runs to the Red Sox. Give me a break. I'm going to do anything I can to get my good players to be great. I can't get bad players to be good. Even getting signs doesn't make bad players good, but it makes good players great and great players greater. I just got to score more runs, and I'm going to do my best to make sure that my signs are unable to be stolen. I'll touch my nose and ears and hips and toes, eyes, elbows, eyes, elbows, ears, and toes. That's not it either. It's head, shoulder, knees, and toes, I think. I would touch my head, shoulders, knees, and toes 10 times in a different order, and then I would run to the pitcher's mound and tell him what pitch to throw. If I had to do that to not have my sign stolen while I was trying to steal other teams' signs, a deterrent. There's no deterrent. We're after revenue and wins, period. Well, today's the day we've been looking for. It's been a week, two weeks, three weeks we've been looking at this day. When I went on Survivor, Survivor 28, I was voted off first, special member of the first boot club. There's only 38 of us, 39 of us, actually. There's 40 first boots, but one woman named Francesca was a first boot twice. So there's 39 of us. And so I couldn't shave for the three days I was on the show, but I never knew what I would look like if I were at a final tribal council with 39 days worth of growth. Guess what? This is it. ML Beer Challenge, day 39. We're giving $1,000 today to the Orlando Magic, to an organization in the Orlando area. Orlando's been hit hard. I want to find a way to get it to the Walt Disney Company. I know that sounds crazy, but do you know how many workers have been infected? Affected? Affected. Affected. How many workers have been affected? A&E. Affected by the fact that the parks are closed? It's full Clark Griswold. Sorry, folks. Parks closed. That was John Candy, by the way. May he rest in peace. So we're going to get them $1,000. We're doing this for 100 days, but we're growing the beard until there's an MLB opening day. I got to tell you one survivor. Survivor was on last night. If you're not watching season 40, you should be. It's phenomenal. It's all winners. And I've got two members of Kagayan, which was the season I did, season 28, are still in season 40. So not only did Tony Vlacos and Sarah Lacina win Survivor, Tony won our season, season 28. Sarah won Game Changers. I don't know what number that was. And they both were invited back to be part of Winners at War. 
and they're both still in the game with eight or nine people left out of 20. I remember the first time I met. I just want to tell a quick story. Coca, it's going to be super quick. A quick story about the first time I met Sarah and Tony. The first time I met Sarah is when you walk in, when you apply, and if you're asked back, and if your application, they look at your video on Survivor, and sometimes you go to an interview out in L.A. You don't get to talk to anyone but the people who work for the show. You see other people around the hotel where you're staying, but you're in your room basically 22 hours a day. You leave for meals and an hour of working out. You leave when they want to give you a, a checkup physically. They want you to take an IQ test, check your mental status. My treatment mentally, that took a few extra hours because I was so excited to be in touch with someone while it was good practice for the current quarantine. But you can work out. And so I would work out and I'd go run. And I was on a treadmill and I looked to my left and uh, it was Sarah Lacina. I didn't know her name and I didn't know it was Sarah. I didn't know her. But I knew that I'd seen her before because when I first got there, I went into a room to take a test and she was sitting next to me. And the funny part about it is that you're sitting social distance away. And you're looking around thinking, wow, these are all people applying to be on Survivor. They all look younger. They all look prettier. I'm old. And this was back in 13. So this is seven years ago. I was 45 years old. So I was still on the old side. And I'm looking around and I see who became Spencer and Cass and Wu and Sarah and Tony. So I see Sarah. I sit next to Sarah. There's a chair open. Take the test. The next time I see her is on the treadmill. And she's on the treadmill running. I'm on the treadmill running. And I'm looking at her. She's looking at me. But there's people guarding us. We can't talk. We can't communicate at all. Total silence. But we're so competitive that she was running faster and faster on the treadmill. And then I would go faster and faster because I didn't want her to think that she was stronger or faster than I was. She didn't want me to think that 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 I was stronger or faster. I didn't want her to think that she was stronger or faster. So we end up going so fast that we both ended up out of breath and almost dying. And that started our relationship where we laughed and got in trouble for laughing. And we got in trouble all the way through the start of the game where you can't talk until the game starts. And we kept sort of communicating by just sneezing or saying goodnight or something. And we got in trouble like I used to in fourth grade. My story for Tony, who ended up being the winner of our season, I was asked pregame, is there anyone you've seen who you would say, has a better chance than you do of winning. And I said, I don't think anyone has a better chance than I do, but there's one guy that I guarantee you can't win the game. And they said, who's that? And you don't know anyone's names. You've never spoken. You've never heard their voices. I said, there's a guy who's a little taller than I am. He's bald and he's got a huge tattoo uh, like on his neck and his shoulder. And I had just been sizing him up and down in a totally innocent way because you're trying to size people up and down. And uh, I said, that guy has zero chance. (laughs) How did I know? Yeah, he had 100% chance. I saw Cliff Robinson, the NBA player, the one who shrugs his shoulder in the Michael Jordan last dance after Jordan hits all those three-pointers in the NBA finals against the Trailblazers. Well, I get to ready to fly to the Philippines to film and I'm getting ready to get on a plane and all of a sudden I see Cliff Robinson and I knew Cliff Robinson from my NBA days and my love of the NBA and I said what are the chances Cliff Robinson is flying to Manila from LA right now the chances were damn good because he was on Survivor 28 Uncle Cliffy all right we're doing the uh, quarantine lifetime best picture challenge 
Of course we are. The Quarantine Lifetime Best Picture Challenge. Please find the year you were born and watch all the best pictures. I was born in 68. I only have one left to see. That's Patton, but I'm rewatching a bunch. I watched one yesterday, and uh, this was a purposeful choice. I watched a movie from 1982 starring Ben Kingsley and Candace Bergen. Remember what it is yet? Gandhi. Ben Kingsley won the best actor. Gandhi won best picture. It won, I think, 10 Academy Awards for the 1982 film. And here's what Gandhi's about. If you've never heard of Mohandas Gandhi, he's basically a pacifist who works his way to become the leader of India back when they were trying to break free from the British. And he would not fight. He would go on hunger strikes, but he taught pacifism. And this is well before Martin Luther King, and this is before people started, you know, collecting ammunition and guns like they are in Florida right now because of the pandemic. He's a person who thought that he could accomplish the basically impossible to accomplish, but do it in a way that didn't cause bloodshed. And that doesn't mean that he didn't get himself physically attacked. It meant that he would never fight back. It meant that he would educate people enough about the plight of what he was trying to do. And this movie goes from the beginning to the end of how Gandhi became Gandhi and the impact that Gandhi had. You don't hear his name enough. So I just want to throw this out. And I have a feeling you're all going to disagree with me, but I'm going to throw it out anyway. I believe that Mahatma Gandhi is in the top five most influential people in history. Now, before you start making lists, a quarantine list, you can't say God, you can't say Jesus Christ, because I'd rather it, let's, let's actually do it this way. Let's make this difference. This is not religious. This is not political. Come up with your top five most influential people from 1600 to 2020. Top five most influential. Gandhi is on that list worldwide. Now, do we put our founding fathers? Is that a George Washington situation where maybe he gets on the list? No, George Washington is not one of the top five most influential people. Is it possible Bill Gates Could he be one of the top five most influential people of all time since 1600? What about Benjamin Franklin? Hard to do anything without good old Ben, isn't it? That's how significant Gandhi is. And if you've never seen a movie about him or read about him, I would encourage you to watch this movie. It's three hours and 11 minutes. You tell me now that you don't have 191 minutes to give me. Do you tell me that for real? Pretend it's a binge, a four-part It's literally a three-part series. Imagine if Tiger King were only three parts, you would have watched it in one day. I watched all six in one day. Gandhi, that's the name of the movie. 1982. Hey, we got a live sporting event, and I'm not talking about the draft. Yes, we do. Get ready. On your mark, get set. It's live golf. No, not the PGA tournament that's supposed to start in June that I told you really is unlikely or the tournament in San Francisco in August or the Masters in November, which hopefully can happen without fans, maybe with fans. Wait to see. This is way better, way better. It was announced yesterday. Get ready for this. It's a made for TV foursome, a made for TV foursome that you don't have to pay $19.99 for. Do you get that, Coco? Made-for-TV golf match, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Peyton Manning, 
and Tom Brady. Let me say that again. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods. They are going to golf, and they are going to raise money, and they are going to give that money to charities supporting the recovery from COVID-19 for first responders, food, all of the people in need. How starved for content are we all that this is going to be the most anticipated thing, way bigger than horse? It's bigger than the NFL draft. The NFL draft, who, I mean, I'm going to talk about it later in this show. It's quite exciting. I'm going to watch every round. Why not? It's live. Might as well. Plus, it's like watching a train wreck. Don't you want to see the technological glitches that we said are going to happen? Don't you want to see that my wait to sees are going to come true? That there'll be delays, etc.? Of course you do. But this golf event, I am hoping that whoever is planning this, the promoter, is listening to this show. Because I've got some suggestions that will make this foursome the greatest foursome you've ever participated in. One, mic up all players, period, with no tape delay, no editing, fully mic'd up. If, a, if an F-bomb comes, an F-bomb comes. That's just how it goes. ESPN had an F-bomb during the last dance. It's how it goes. Mic them all up. Two, one drink per hole. No Ambien, no golf clubs involved. Oh, there will be golf clubs involved. All right, Tiger can do once every other hole. Alcohol. Three, gambling. Yet, no, Michael, you can't play. Michael, you weren't invited. I know Michael Jordan would like to be invited, but he's not. Gamble on every hole. Have the players gambling. And whatever money changes hands is additional money that goes to charity. But if you really want to make it exciting, have some of the money actually go into the pockets of the athletes. Because guess what? Phil Mickelson, he likes to gamble. So do they all. Here's the thing. When you lose money and know that it goes to charity, yeah, I want to give money to charity. I'm good with it. When you lose money to a fellow athlete, that's no bueno. So make sure there's a gambling component. Three, mulligans. We all get mulligans when we play golf. We all pretend that we missed or we hit that shot or I'll take another one. Let the players buy mulligans and that money goes to charity as well. Next, no caddies. I want full social distancing. I want these guys to carry their own bags. Except here's the catch. I want this foursome to have three clubs, driver, wedge, putter. That's it. You get three clubs. You carry three clubs, and here's the other part, three balls. Three clubs, three balls. That's it for the round, and you got to carry it yourself. Next, at one-third of the holes, that's six holes, I would like to see them have the miniature golf clown's mouth at the hole because I want the ball to be ejected so the players don't have to reach their hands into the hole to get their ball when they get it, because then you've got a glove situation or a COVID spreading situation. So let's get the balls into the clown mouth. Now, as I think about it, we could do a clown mouth on all 18 holes and like the 18th hole of a miniature golf course where you lose the ball and it goes back to the beginning where they cannot clean it and give it to the next person. How gross is that, by the way? when you hold the miniature golf balls and you, we never used to wipe those off. I bet that's going to change. I'd say the players get a new ball every hole. Change my mind. Forget three balls. A new ball every hole. The balls are waiting for them at the tee. And then the end of the hole is into the clown mouth or into the elephant, elephant mouth. That'd be funny. Have some contests. Longest drives, closest to the pin. Anything that these guys can gamble on and have fun with. 
And then because it'll be so boring to so many people who don't like golf, but they love Tom Brady, they love Peyton Manning. One of the holes is a longest throw hole where from the tee, Brady and Manning have to throw a football off the tee, not swing a golf club. And that's where their second shot will be from wherever the ball lands. But in case they think they're going to lose out to Tiger and Phil, they won't. Because Tiger is matched. Who's Tiger with, Coca? I think it's Tiger and Peyton and Phil and Brady or the other way around. But Tiger and Phil are on different teams and so are Peyton and Brady. So the same advantage or disadvantage happens by making them throw a football on a hole. The point is for this live golf, let's have fun. Let's enjoy the possibility that we're not curing COVID with this tournament. We are having live golf where people can engage and have fun. And my last thing that is an absolute, an absolute, there has to be live Twitter and Instagram interaction during the course of this live golf match. Tom Brady said he loves Twitter and Instagram now. Excuse me. I don't know why I say excuse me, because if you're listening, you don't know that I just coughed. But if you're watching, you know that I just took a drink and turned the other way and had a little bit of sweat. Just a little one. I'm good. It's about 97 degrees here in Florida today. 200 in the shade. 250. I just fried an egg outside, literally on the pavement. Instagram. I want Brady. I want Tiger, Phil, Peyton. I want them engaging. You know Peyton and Tom like to do it. You know Tiger wants to do it. You know Phil needs to do it. Let them engage with the fans. Answer Twitter questions. Do a Twitter video. Like what they do at the Academy Awards where they try to do selfies and try to engage with fans and other stars. And that brings me to have other celebrities around. Have other celebrities where it's possible that Tiger, and not so many, we're still going to do social distancing, but where Tiger can say, you know what, I'm going to give this putt. I am giving this putt to, what's the name, Coca, of the uh, the Emmy-nominated guy from Game of Thrones? Um, he's a, a little person and is, and that may be the politically incorrect word. I use, I, Peter Dinklage, have him take a shot, have, have it, have another athlete, maybe a guest appearance by Michael Jordan because of the last dance. I mean, you could do anything. Coca's telling me I should, I should suggest to you to bring the robots that they're using in Taiwan as fans. That would be like short circuit. I don't think they'll do that. That was sort of funny, Coca. I don't think that translated well from my ear to the listeners and viewers, but it's sort of funny. I'm just saying there could be anybody, but a celebrity, another celebrity to take a shot. The point is, please have fun. We got live golf coming. Little problem that's not being talked about a lot, though. Guess where it is? I'll take your guesses right now from the studio audience. Hold on. I got my first suggestion. Augusta. No, it's not at Augusta. Hollow Point. No, it's not at Hollow Point. Pebble Beach. No, not at Pebble Beach. Ah, the public golf course in Dubuque, Iowa? Maybe so. It's TBD, my friends. It's TBD. Ah, it's draft time. Okay, we're talking NFL draft. How do you not? I'm so excited for it. What are you all doing? I'm going to shower. I'm going to get into new clothes. I'm going to get ready for the draft as though I were getting ready for a regular draft. I'm going to be completely locked in. 
because I get an opportunity now to find out how full of crap all the analysts are with all the rumors and all the stuff of people saying who's going to go when, all the different trades, all the mock drafts. It's all done now. Now we actually get to see what happens. It's been perfect. Interest has been – what's the word when interest has been elevated? It has been absolutely uh, um, to the point of people are simmering with anticipation, thinking what trades are going to happen. Who's going to go after Joe Burrow goes first? How's it going to work? Is my team going to get my guy? People here in Florida are losing their minds over Tua. If the Dolphins don't draft Tua, there's going to be protests on the street, and they'll have nothing to do with reopening South Florida. So what exactly are front offices doing? Well, right now they're manipulating information. That's what front offices are doing. That is the single most important thing for front offices to do, even more so than scouting. You don't need to be a good scout to know that Joe Burrow is the best quarterback. You sort of have to decide and make a position on whether you like Herbert or Love or Tua. Those are other quarterbacks. Or if you want to maybe go for an offensive tackle or a defensive end or a wide receiver or a cornerback. I get it. Those are decisions that have to be made. But what's really going on is that the beast of the media is being fed by front offices with all of these different rumors of what they're doing, what they're not doing, who they're looking at, who they're not looking at. And they're doing it in a way to purposefully manipulate the information that goes out all for the benefit, all for the benefit of themselves. This should not be news to you. I've told you before on Nothing Personal that we spent Hours and hours deciding what information to leak, who to leak it to, what we were leaking, what the subject of our leaks would be, when we wanted to trade a leak for information back from someone in the media. We had certain members of the media who were one for one guys, certain were two for one people. You had to give them two things to get one back. But the give and take that happens with the media is real and it happens. But all that is done by the front office purposefully. None of it is done to try to placate the fan base. So I told you that the Dolphins, I told you that if the Dolphins don't draft Tua, there's going to be a major problem to remember. But guess who's not interested in that? The front office of the Miami Dolphins. And I'm not being critical of them at all. They're right. But so all 32 teams in NFL, all 30 teams in MLB, we all do it the same. We don't let fan bases decide who we're going to draft. We don't pay attention to Twitter polls or to, or to, nightly newscasts or to what anybody on any channel is saying. We are taking the player we think it's best for us because it's our jobs on the line. As a fan, if we take Tua because you said to take Tua and then Tua fails, do you lose your job? If we take Tua because you want us to take Tua and he's injured and can't perform, do you lose your job? Can you imagine if in your job someone were telling you what to do but had no accountability whatsoever? Would you listen to that person? Of course not. They have no skin in the game. So fan bases right now are thinking to think about all this sort of um, collective power to the people. We are going to make our team do it because they don't want us to not buy season tickets. They don't want us to run away from the team. They want us to have a love fest. They don't want to be booed. Well, here's when teams get booed. When they don't win. And when teams win with draft picks that you booed, do you apologize for booing? No, you're super excited. If the Dolphins take Herbert or Love and not Tua, and Herbert or Love actually hit it and become real NFL quarterbacks, better than Fitzmagic and better than Josh Rosen, I think it's Fitzpatrick, but he's, his nickname is Fitzmagic. Are you going to boo the Dolphins if they're making the playoffs this season? 
or if they make it to the Super Bowl in the next two to three years with Herbert or Love? Of course not. You're going to be cheering. You're going to be delirious with excitement. You won't remember this, except I'll be here to remind you. It's not a big deal. You shouldn't stop trying to have influence. As a fan, you want to dream that you have that influence, but the reality is you just don't. It's not that, it's, does it matter to you? Now, why do we do this? Why do we allow for all of the ancillary programming around the draft? As a league, what's in it for us to have every station live doing the draft, to have every station doing mock drafts for a month before the draft, pandemic or no pandemic, to have all the excitement, even though it's a virtual draft, what's in it for the league to have all this bantering back and forth by media people and regular people who have other jobs who are on their social media accounts? What's in it is fan engagement. Fan engagement is the most addictive drug that any of us take who run sports teams. We try to find that magic potion that gets you engaged because when you're engaged, you don't realize when our hands are in your pocket. It's like you're so happy to give over your money because you feel this wash of good feeling over your entire body because you've been engaged and emotionally attached. It's the dream. And so we're going to find any way to get you attached. Do you think that the NFL wants to spend the money they spend on putting a draft together the way they're doing it? As an executive, we would just assume do a draft that goes without anyone watching, no cameras. It's just our guys in a room together, and we do the draft, and then that's the end of it. But there's no money in that. It was just reported today that the network showing the draft is ESPN and the NFL Network. CBS Sports HQ will be with you all day and night starting at 6 p.m. tonight with all the picks that start at 8 o'clock Eastern. But 30-second spots are going for 250 k and they're sold out for every day except Saturday, which are the last two rounds. Something like that, the last however many rounds Saturday, that is money. It's like getting another live event. It's part of the process of engaging with the fans is getting them all excited for yet another event. We would sit around for hours talking about this, both in commissioner meetings, league meetings with other owners and presidents, and just in meetings with Marlins employees or Expos employees. Every team would do this. Hours. You get your marketing department, your sales department. You even get a few people in finance who want to cross over. You get your baseball people, and you prepare a basic mission statement to your owner of what you're going to do to get the fans more engaged. Every single advertising agency who pitches you, they're all pitching one thing. They are pitching fan engagement because that engagement has a conversion rate and that conversion rate can be monetized and that is used to sign players and pay bills. It actually makes perfect sense to me. Perfect sense. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Through the first round of the NBA playoffs, it's still all about the Celtics and the Nuggets. Will it be a likely matchup between the two powerhouses for the NBA championship? You can bet on the Celtics to beat the Nuggets at plus 400, or the Nuggets to beat the Celtics at plus 425, right now. And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 
in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. So you want to talk to Samson. A lot of draft questions on so you want to talk to Samson. I want to go through that a little bit. So the question was on so you want to talk to Samson. It was that the NFL draft is today. When the media says I'm hearing this or I'm hearing that, are they responding to what they hear from other media members and what they've heard? Or is it what they've actually directly heard from someone who works for a team? That is a great question. So you want to talk to Samson is when you go on Twitter, David P. Samson, please do that. Follow me. Tell your friends about nothing personal. I thank you so much for your loyalty. We're going to do an end of month mailbag pod. That's coming. That'll drop on Saturday, May 2nd. And that will be answering your questions that you leave when you rate five stars on Apple, write a review. And in the review, you ask a question. I'll answer those end of month. When you go on Twitter and at David P. Samson, D-A-V-I-D-P-S-A-M-S-O-N. Put a question in there in my DMs, which are open to the public, and I'll answer it. And by the way, more important to all of that is I appreciate your loyalty, and please feel free to spread the word. So the question about, because you hear this all the time, sources telling me that dolphins will draft Tua. I keep mentioning that because that's all I see down here in Florida right now. Sources tell us that the Bengals have informed Joe Burrow that he will be drafted first. Then you hear it from someone else. Sources tell us that Joe Burrow will be drafted first. The way this actually works is that every single person in the media has his or her own set of sources with all of the teams. The greatest thing, if you are a newsbreaker in sports, so let's say if you are Woj in, in, in basketball or Schefter in, in football or Ken Rosenthal in baseball, you have connections with people in every organization and you are independently establishing the information that you're getting and then you are releasing it when you have it confirmed enough that you have it from your source and you tell your editor, hey, this is my source, it's real and we're going with this. So it's critical of every media member to build his or her own source network. To build that network, You have to show that you will respect the line between on the record and off the record. You will never, ever release the name of the source to your editor or to anyone else in your industry. And and you will never confirm or deny the fact that you have any source in any individual organization. But when you're in an organization, you know very well that all of these guys have the sources within our organization, and we would identify who in our organization was secretly going behind our back and giving information to sources, or those who we had assigned to give information to. And we would keep a spreadsheet in the old days before spreadsheets. I would keep it by hand, 
and we would keep track. It's like uh, it's like the knock list in Mission Impossible. This scout talks to this writer. The GM talks to this writer, this writer, this writer, and this writer. The president has this guy, this guy, and this guy. The owner speaks to that guy and that guy. The owner doesn't tell us when he's speaking to that guy, but we know he speaks to that guy sometimes. Then this guy. We know if scouts are not telling us the truth because we know they're leaking to a certain guy. Do you know how we did that? I think I've told you that. It bears repeating because Coke is telling me I can repeat it. We would sometimes give our scouts misinformation and watch that misinformation be reported because the scouts would give the misinformation thinking it's real information. We would do that with trades all the time. We would float names out. Yeah, we're looking at uh, the following players from the Yankees and all of a sudden they would be out. Or we're looking at following players from the Texas Rangers and it would be out and we were never having discussions. We were never talking about those players. So there are ways that you can figure out who's leaking who and who's doing what. But when you're in the media and you say, sources tell me, that is your source telling you. That is not using someone else in the media as a source. It is you yourself getting it directly. That's the answer. So you want to talk to Samson. So wait to see. Wait to see. You know what that is. I'm accountable. And the wait to see today is interesting. I want to talk about it with you. I'm accountable. I'm going to tell you things that I think are going to happen, and then I tell you whether they did happen or didn't happen. This is a wait to see that will expire tomorrow. Some of mine are long-term. Some of mine are short-term. But this wait to see matters because this has been the big talk right now. The big talk has been, what are the trades that are going to be made in the top five picks of the NFL draft? Where you've got the Bengals. This is all from memory, by the way, so Coca, correct me. I think you've got the Bengals one. You've got the Lions three. You've got the Redskins two. You've got the Giants four and the Dolphins five. That's the top five. Dolphins one, Redskins two, Lions three, Giants four, Dolphins five. A lot of talk. People trading up. I want to get into the top five because I want to block someone from drafting. The Chargers, I think, draft number six, and they want a quarterback, and they may want to get a quarterback ahead of the Dolphins. So right now they're figuring out who the Dolphins are drafting because why give everything to Detroit to move ahead of the Dolphins if we don't have to? So the job in the draft room, and now everybody's draft room is separate, and that's a big problem, but the job in the draft room is we assign different teams, different people to different scouts, find out who that team is going with. Call your friends, have your friends give the information to you, because we know that at the lower levels, not the GM and president level, at the lower levels, scouts are exchanging, yeah, we are very much in on Tua, very much. Sometimes we're having scouts mislead other teams, sometimes we're having scouts tell teams the truth. Because we want to get something back. And we have a way of discerning which is which. What's going on in football is fascinating. If you're the Detroit Lions and you hold the number three pick, you are speaking to the Chargers, you're speaking to the Dolphins, and you are manipulating the Chargers to say, hey, the Dolphins are about to trade up and take your guy. And then you're telling the Chargers, hey, listen, if you want to give me more, then we'll trade you our number three pick. And then they call the Dolphins back and say, hey, listen, Chris, GM, If you want to match San Diego, you're going to have to beat them or else they're going to be drafting three and they're taking your guy and you're going to be stuck with your second one. I don't know why I said he's telling me Los Angeles. Did I say the San Diego Chargers? It's the Los Angeles Chargers. Sorry. God, old habits die hard. So there's a ton of manipulation going on while these drafts are happening before they take place. But tonight, because of the virtual reality of this draft, because of the technological glitches that are going on, because of the concern that teams have about the 2020 season, when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, 
my prediction, my wait to see is there will be no trades and the top five picks will go as scheduled to the five teams who have those five picks in the order in which they currently are. That's a wait to see. And if you're upset about it as a fan base because you want all the excitement of trades and all the insanity, sorry. It's just business. It's nothing personal.